We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Joining you after quite a long hiatus. We took a took a break after the Bucks season ended, needed to lick our wounds, watch the season conclude. And uh, before we break it down, talk about the end of the NBA season, talk about the Bucks offseason, I want to welcome in, obviously, the usual fellas who are joining me today, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. How are you guys doing? It's a tough one here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, the Gophers humbled once again, continuing a theme from last time we saw them on the fields, uh, looking like utter trash and ruining all the expectations that we had going into the year, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, besides that, we're doing okay. It's it's flurrying right now. I think we're going to get like an inch or two of snow. I don't know if you guys got snow by you, but we've already gotten seven inches earlier this week. It's down in the 30s, so it's it's kind of winter already here in Minneapolis, but otherwise I'm okay. Yeah, over here in Madison, um, COVID is just ravaging this whole state, and it's a wonderful, terrible thing. Um, the Badgers actually look pretty good, so that was kind of cool. Um, i trying to think of anything else. Kind of just avoided basketball, avoided much sports in general. And I think it's, yeah, also just planning to hunker down and prepare for winter because it's getting cold. The leaves are falling everywhere except my yard. I'm looking outside and there's like five maple trees. I still have a bunch of leaves that I still have to rake. So that's going to be fun. But otherwise, yeah, I guess it is what it is. You know, I never raked leaves as a kid. Did you, Riley? Did you guys, did you both rake leaves? We never, we would do like a small pile for the jumping in ceremony that everybody has to have every fall. But otherwise, I think my dear father, God bless him. I think he just said F it and just let it, <laughs> let it sit for the winter. I'm pretty sure. So I don't, I don't remember doing a lot of leaf raking. I don't remember because when my parents moved to their current house, there wasn't that many trees. So we didn't have to then. I, I don't know if we did when we were younger, probably at some point. But now that I'm doing it on my own yard, I'm like, you know, when those when Sterling's older, that's going to be an easy fifty bucks to have him go out and rake these leaves because I hate doing it. <laughs> the twisted thing about kids is, if you get them early, you can convince them that menial chores are actually like entertaining things that everybody else does. You're like, well, duh, of course I want to go rake the leaves because everybody else rakes the leaves. This is the greatest thing ever. So that is your challenge, Kyle, is to convince Sterling that things like that, bringing you coffee. Uh, you know, cleaning up the bathroom, things like that. Those are entertaining things that everybody partakes in on Sundays. Well, I feel like laundry would be the easiest one because I, I can just say you put the clothes in the washer and dryer. You can go back and play a game or watch TV. You can fold laundry and watch TV. Like, it's a nice combo. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll convince him to do that. He's going to hear this in like 20 years and be like, Dad, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of what I'm going to want my child to do because uh, I grew up on a farm, obviously. So I had like, I was doing, you know, real labor. Flashing <laughs> I don't know what I'll have my kid do. Here's a dumb question. I'm not a gardener. 
why do you rake the leaves? What's the, is it just so you, your yard looks cleaner or is there like a purpose to it in terms of like the frost and the grass growing? Does anyone know? I think it does damage the yard to an extent. Cause I think like I have a leaf, there's, there's a pile of leaves and it like kind of erodes the grass. So it just makes it look like shit. Mm. I I do it. I just do it that way because, again, I have too many trees so that when all the leaves fall, so it's like a whole layer that I have to get rid of. But otherwise, I don't know the full reason. I think it's just an excuse to initially just have people make their yards look nicer. I could give two shits about my yard. It's what it is. It's a scam by big rake companies <laughs> everywhere who are trying to get us to buy their oh, equipment. Leaf blower companies. I always thought that because like their organic matter that would break down over the winter, that they would be like a compost almost or like help out with the grass growing in the next season. But I'm an idiot and I don't know anything about botany, so I can't say definitively. But for me, mentally, I was like, why are we doing this? Because this will be like good for the grass. Like who cares once the snow is down? But there's likely a scientific reason that, you know, like lawn glow or something has come up with and pushed via various scientists and institutions to make us rake all the leaves, which I'm glad we're taking this time on the Brew Hoop podcast to get to the bottom of this. Well, speaking of tending to uh, your front yard, the Bucks will certainly have to tend to their uh, roster in the off season. But before we do that, the, the NBA season has wrapped up, fellas. When we laughed last, la- last left our listeners, I was saying the Clippers should be able to take care of the Nuggets. Wrong about that. Completely. Uh, turns out they imploded. Thankfully, took some of the heat off the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Also imploding in the second round. Heat go on. They beat the Celtics, make it to the NBA Finals, and then eventually lose to the Los Angeles Lakers in what was it? Six games. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Six games. And as you can tell by me not <laughs> knowing how many games it was after the Bucks loss, I kind of just jettisoned out of basketball i didn't think i was going to be as emotionally invested but i couldn't just couldn't i didn't really care to watch the heat continue to go on i wasn't really interested in the lakers finals either uh so i was just curious why like how you guys did you were you guys watching after the bucks lost did you have any particular reason why you did or didn't watch like how did you guys feel by the eventual result in the nba i didn't watch any of – I watched the Clippers implode. I watched that game. That was hilarious. And then Twitter had all the jokes. But in terms of the NBA Finals, I may have watched like two or three minutes. And it was, I think, game four or five, the gym, basically the Jimmy Butler game. And that was because I was in Eau Claire with my in-laws, and we were all just tired. It was like 9 p.m. And I was like, well, just turn on the game, see what happens. I think that was mainly it. And I think because I've just – it's been such a long season, more or less, because – you think about it, the season started in October and the Bucks season didn't end until June or July. So you're kind of just sitting there almost a full year of basketball and sports. And it just, I wouldn't say I was emotionally drained, but I was definitely mentally drained. I just couldn't care enough about the season. Cause I, I was just in the, there shouldn't have been sports. Screw it. We have a whole pandemic. Why bother? And I think it was just like that combination and just not, you know, I thought of like what what would I use my time on? It's like I could watch a game that I have no rooting interest for, or I could hang out with my kid or play a video game that I'm interested. In. Like I just had other things I could do instead. So for me, it was just more of a 
once the Bucks were out, it's kind of like, okay, now I have absolutely no obligation to give a damn about this season anymore. And it was kind of a, both a relief, but also kind of a downer because it's like, that could have been the Bucks, but once the Miami Heat made the finals, I figured, yeah, the Bucks weren't winning that series. I unless Budenholzer had done anything, unless things were drastically different, the Bucks weren't going to win that series. And at least if it, if the Celtics had won the East, then I would have been more annoyed because I could have said the Bucks could have beaten the Celtics in a seven game series, no problem. But props to the Heat, props to the Lakers. I'm so glad that fan base has finally become winners again after ten years of torture and agony. Bravo, you got it. The underdog ones, so proud of you all. It's really, it's a Cinderella story. The team that had to start Robert Sacre at center for a year and a half to come all the way around. It really, what it does is inspires us, us other little folks, right? Us little markets to dream that maybe one day we too could win championships uh, through great basketball decision-making and organizational culture. Uh, but on a more serious note, I guess um, I didn't watch much after the Bucks got bounced either. I think, first off, credit to the NBA for actually pulling the bubble off because when it first started, I think us, a lot of people were like, we have no idea how this is going to work. So credit to them for getting through it. The only like real mishap was uh, Lou Will going to Atlanta to a strip club for some wings. To be fair, the wings did look pretty good. So, I, yeah, I give him a pass there. And was it Daniel House? Was that the other guy who, like, was the big breach or whatever? So to have only those issues to get through it, I think it's a testament to them, the system they put up, and then also, again, the testament to, like, social distancing, mask requirements, all those sorts of things that you would hope other leagues can kind of take on if they're going to continue to do sports. Um, I think for me, the reason why I didn't watch anymore was – it was emotionally draining. So between the pandemic, which already had everybody, I think, to a certain extent at like a high level emotionally, and then to go through and and we have to face facts. This was one of like the two chances we've had, legit chances at winning a championship. I think the discourse within the fan base and outside of it kind of reflected that as well. And so even though it's this weird thing is like, does the bubble count? Does it not count? Once you kind of get in there and the games start going, it does feel like, like real games. And so to see them get bounced like that is just disappointing. And it's doubly difficult because they made the gamble of let's just roll it back for the most part. Like we'll replace Brogdon with Wes. We'll have a couple other guys in, but for the most part, the core is going to stay the same and they weren't able to get it done again. And I think that opens up a ton more question marks about where this team goes. And then, as we'll discuss through the offseason in the trade bracket, things like that, the options to upgrade, you can kind of feel from the very beginning were a little limited, especially if Bledsoe was going to have lay, lay another egg, which he sort of did. And so with all those different factors, like I'm not interested right now in talking about the Bucks or like watching basketball because it feels, even though we were relatively close, we still feel so far from the mountaintop. It's like I can't even contemplate it right now. So that's kind of where I was at with the rest of the bubble. But, yeah, congrats to the Heat. Good run for them. And I think the other thing, too, is the fact that the Heat, the heat made such a deep run. It kind of calls into question, too, like the nature of the bubble. And maybe you needed a certain type of mentality, and maybe the Bucks were just never going to, like, mentally be able to lock in the way that, like, the Heat did or whatever. And that, too, makes it difficult to really evaluate, you know, what happened to the team. So there's just a lot of reasons why I didn't, wasn't all that interested once things got finished for us. I think the heat making the finals, I think that's a really good point because it made the, 
it it's like the one thing that feels felt a little off about the bubble. I mean, the Lakers making it were totally fine. Nuggets making the f- conference finals was maybe a little weird, but mostly like mostly just because we saw Jamal Murray like obviously play a play significantly better than we any or anyone had expected. But I was interested in the in in like I was looking at the power rankings for next year or something, and the Heat were like ninth. Uh, on ESPN and the Bucks were like were third. Um, so I don't know. I wasn't like that surprised by it. Maybe it's just regular season and they're just like going ahead. But I was kind of thrown off, Kyle, by the fact that people are like, oh, yeah, the Heat should be OK. Um, Bucks will be really big contenders. It, it felt kind of out of step, I guess, with how I feel about the team. And I felt like the discourse certainly is around the team locally. Yeah, and I think it's also because most of us are just resigned to the fact that this re- the regular season will not matter. So no matter what the Bucks do, they can roll out their system and it's going to work the majority of the time because, you know, you don't have teams that are ultra focused on stopping it compared to a seven game series where it's like, you could look at the finer details. You could look at the things that maybe you could have caught in the regular season, but you know, in a one-off game, it's not going to matter. And I think the the Bucks still have the talent to be one of the top teams. I, mean, I think that's still the truth. Is the Bucks still have the talent? But with the Heat being as low, I don't know who was picked ahead of the Heat. I'm sure Boston was. I'm sure you know maybe the Nuggets. Yeah, and and like the teams that are ahead of the Heat, it's probably a realistic list. You know, like I said, unless you start throwing like Philly up there, then I don't know what they're thinking with the power rankings. But that's kind of just how it is, and with. Everyone else, I think it's just more of a because we had such a high expectation for the team and they were not even close to achieving it. And it brought back that discussion of, well, does a regular season matter? And if it does matter, then why do we bother? If they play this well in the regular season, then it gets to the playoffs. They lay an egg and vice versa. Like you have other teams that were okay in the regular season and then turn it on in the playoffs, like the Miami Heat. It just became more of a nuanced discussion, I think, with the Bucks, with Bucks fans at least. None of it is going to matter if the flaws that were present during that series are still there. You know, if Eric Bledsoe's still on the roster, there's no reason for the Bucks to think they should be this high. If Mike Budenholzer doesn't make tweaks or at least try make adjustments, it doesn't matter what the regular season is going to be. So I think it's just more of a, it's the regular season, so why not just throw the teams that we know talent-wise are going to be up there? But with power rankings, it's always a, it's always going to fluctuate. I mean, the Bucks could be third right now have two bad games they drop all the way to 10th so that's just how it is and i think yeah it's just very hard to emotionally get into power rankings for a regular season when we didn't know a when it's going to start and b if it really even matters i think evaluating this team going into next season and i think it's good that we took as much time off as we did one because we're lazy but two it gave us time to like decompress from everything but if I was somebody looking at the Bucks from the outside and the way the season went, the whole core reason why we went with this team was we were up two games on Toronto and it just it, it slipped away. Four straight, like you could almost think like, is that fluky? You were so close in game three, all those sorts of things. So it's like, okay, we came back this season and a lot of the same problems showed their head that, you know, reared their heads again. So now if I'm looking at this team, they've already said the right things, right? So like, it is probably there's been talk about Eric Bledsoe getting moved. There's been talk about the Bucks, like they're interested in this guy. They're interested in that guy. Like they're they're trying to. It seems like they're doing due diligence on upgrades, and 
you could realistically expect last season say maybe it was just really bad luck. Um, if we do some tweaks, you know, we have another shot at it, maybe it all works out. And that proved to not work for us. And so now that we have to face that music, I think there has been discussion within the team and I think discussion outside of the team, and it seems to be trending in the right direction, that they're going to have to do something different, whether that be personnel decisions, whether that be the way that Giannis plays or is utilized, all those sorts of things. So I, I understand why a power ranking now would have the Bucks ranked highly because we still have the MVP of the league and defensive player of the year as well. That still vaults you to a certain level. And now that we're going to be forced for the most part, depending on what horse can do into doing something different. I think that opens up the horizon of possibilities and like the level of success people could see this team having. Cause we've seen this team twice now, they didn't get it done. You move on from that. So that's kind of where I'm going from. If I was to understand why they might have us ranked so highly. That makes sense. Were you guys, I don't know about you guys. I felt a little guilty for not being super excited about Giannis winning the second consecutive MVP and the defensive player of the year. I felt kind of bad about it, but it was like, that felt even more superfluous, like superfluous than ever and unnecessary uh, after the huge layoff and everything. But I still I think, felt a little bad about it. Well, I think with the MVP, it was more of a foregone conclusion. And like people are trying to make LeBron a contender, but that was never going to be the case because LeBron's, didn't really make his case until what right before everything shut down. So I think for me, it was Giannis getting the second one was always inevitable. The defensive player of the year, I was actually really excited about because that one I didn't see him winning. I figured it would have gone to Rudy Gobert or gone to someone else. So to see, I was I was excited to see him win that one. And I think because he got the MVP after he was eliminated, it was like, well, he's just sitting over in Greece, like giving a minute like a somber press conference while it's all <laughs> happening. So it's like a lot harder to get excited for him because he also did not give off being excited. I think the defensive player of the year is a little bit different because they're still in the bubble. He had all his teammates there. It was kind of a big deal. It was something that we didn't fully expect. It wasn't inevitable. And then the MVP is just like, yeah, we knew he was going to win it. And he did. And now he's in Greece in the dark talking and He's just like, don't call me MVP. Just call me until I win a championship. And I was like, all right, fuck it, move on, <laughs> carry on with your day. That's what that's what really pissed me off was they had a whole 365 days to come up with a different line, but they just did the same line. Like I appreciate consistency and branding, but the um, don't call me MVP until I win a title. It's like, well, that was cool last year. Like we just got just got trounced in the second round, so maybe we should come up with a different line. But I appreciate it, it was it resonated the first time. I don't know. I I sort of I didn't feel bad about it, but I definitely wasn't super excited. And like Kyle said, it, it seemed like a foregone conclusion for such a long time. The only thing that added any sort of spice was LeBron being in the bubble, like being angry about it or whatever, like inexplicably angry about it too. <laughs> like, I don't even know. Was that before the playoffs even began? He just had like a go off. It was like, do people watch basketball, which is a tired argument in 2020, but that's neither here nor there. I don't know. It, it's like what it was to me was it with the contrast between the MVP and having just gotten bounced was this is like the double-edged sword of having Giannis in his current form where it's like, he's so good. He raises your ceiling so high but like in many ways, he's still somewhat limited, whether that be like a mentality thing or just his skill level. And because he's already racking up all these accomplishments and the 
ultimate success. The championships aren't coming. That sort of muddies the water and makes me a little concerned and just kind of drives home the problem that we're stuck in right now of like, how do you build a team that's going to win a championship around this guy? And like, will he give you the flexibility? Will it give you long enough commitment? Can you do it with the way that it's been built now? Like it's just, all it did was open up more questions and it, it helped that we had already been out for a while and people sort of forgot and LeBron stopped complaining about it. So like, it was fine, but Kyle's right. It did look a little bit like a nighttime hostage video when Adam Silver uh, called him up. I think Giannis opened up with a nice big smile, though, so at least you know, he's not totally beaten down. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Congrats, Giannis. It's just kind of sucks for him, everybody, really. But it'll all that will matter at the end of his career is that he had these MVPs, and that's what the biggest thing is. Yeah, I, most definitely. I think if he ever wins a championship, and hopefully he does one day, we'll all be able to look back and – retrospect and appreciate them a little more all right last thing before we move on to more buck specific stuff the scuttlebutt from sham sharania this week reported is that the the league might be looking at starting on christmas day which is not what i anticipated it seemed like from all the reporting leading up to this point until basically this week they were like trying to push it back pretty far to see if they could get butts in the seats and arenas um but given how unlikely that seems for the foreseeable future they seem to just be eyeing this just trying to get it, get this next season over, get it themselves back on the regular schedule as much as possible. So looking at potentially targeting Christmas day sounded like they're uh, reading like the report from Windhorst and, and lower, whatever seemed like maybe they might be looking at Martin Luther King jr. Day as a, as a more feasible start date. Um, Shams had talked about a 72 game season. I don't know, Riley, how'd you feel about a 72 game season potentially starting on Christmas what did you feel when that report came out? I think the 72, I mean, that's the magic number for like the TV deal. So that's not surprising at all that they want to get to that number. The Christmas day, it felt like when, before the, even like the bubble started, when it just got it going, when they were talking about like, how are we going to start the next season? They were all like, there's a lot of talk about how the Christmas day games are really like the quote unquote start of the real season anyhow in the NBA. So I was like, oh, that makes sense that they want to make that. And if they want to make that like, their coming out party every year heading forward if like an adjustment to the schedule is the thing um i don't know i think it's not worrisome i think the bubble again all credit to them a little bit more worried involving guys that'll be in their home markets or kind of moving around a little bit i'm sure they'll do the best they can um but again this kind of comes down to can these guys be guys be adults it's one thing to be an adult in a like sealed off bubble where you're monitored all the time, like your hotel rooms, but it's a different thing when you're at home. Um, and we haven't really heard about anybody testing positive, but that kind of died off anyhow once people are like, this is kind of effed up that we're <laughs> reporting these guys' medical information through like woes or whatever. Um, I think if they can schedule things right where I think I saw where like some teams might come to like, let's say like the bulls come to Milwaukee and they stay for like a, you know, like a couple of days and they just do like three games against the bulls, like mini series, sort of like baseball almost. And I think that makes sense. And I think it might also, if you wanted to go like super zigzag, you'd be like, Oh, well the bucks can kind of start preparing for like small game series and like coaches adjusting to them or whatever. And like the way that that will work is Bud will start playing DJ Wilson, like 15 to 20 minutes in game threes, just cause he doesn't care. But, but like, I think there's a thread of it where you could be like, Oh, this could be beneficial for the bucks. So nothing of it's all that surprising. Um, I could get where they want to make Christmas day, like the big, like attention's all on us um, kind of situation. And 72, that's not surprising either, just because of 
TV arrangements for the most part. So nothing was too crazy. I think whether or not they keep to the Xmas day, uh, I'm not sure. And I think it's a good thing that they didn't try to keep holding on for arena in arena people, because that just does not feel realistic now or, you know, into the start of next season. Maybe it will for some teams if their state governments allow it, but for the most part, I don't think it's happening. So it's good that they're kind of dropping that as like their main reason to go forward with it. Yeah, I think my biggest concern with 72 games, and I understand, again, TV reasons, but that's just a lot of games to try and cram. And I'm assuming they're trying to start it in Christmas and have 72 games. It's not necessarily for the 2020-2021 season, but for the 2021-2022 season to try and start, you know, normal October, have that go. I think they're trying to plan for next year. And my only concern is 72 games is a lot of games in a short period of time. Now, maybe they do you know, these mini series where they go to a city, stay there, play, whatever. But I think the tough part is going to be also the offseason because if they were to start at Christmas, then you're trying to cram a draft and free agency. And for some of these teams, you only get a couple weeks off before now you got to come in for preseason. So that's a little bit of a concern of how quickly that – I mean, for some teams like the Phoenix – not Phoenix, it's like Minnesota Timberwolves – who haven't played a game since March, they haven't played in nine months, it's going to be fine because they've somewhat, they at least get basketball. But, you know, for a team like the Miami Heat, where now you're thinking this is such a quick turnaround, that might be a slight concern as well. And I do have concerns with, you know, are they going to travel? Because it's one thing to not play the fans, but we've seen with the NFL, we saw with Major League Baseball, you know, it seems like cases still seem to be spiking up when they're in their home markets and able to maneuver around. And, you know, the NBA, the WNBA, and NHL, and MLS, NWSL, all those leagues that did a bubble were able to successfully have it and not have positive tests after, you know, I mean, MLS was like the one exception, but every other league was able to have this bubble and it worked. So it's going to be tough to convince these players to do a bubble all over again. Maybe they are a little bit more not as restrictive with who is allowed in a bubble. Maybe they allow a little bit more family members or have family members right from the jump. So at the very least they have their families, but it is going to be interesting to see how that works. I don't, I think it's more to try and get the 2021, 2022 season to start on time than it is to simply, I mean, they, yeah, it seems like they have given up on, if they could have fans, like make sure they could have fans and just going, like I said, it's going to be moving forward with the following season to try and get that to normal as possible. But Christmas would be, a, I mean, it would be a huge ratings thing. Like people would watch, people will tune in. Um, so Martin Luther King Day might be a decent, I would say, I thought it was going to be like February, March that they would get started and do 50 something games compared to, you know, starting December in 72. It just seems like a lot of games in a short amount of time for the players. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm curious how the how the optics are going to be too, because clearly they were like one of the first teams to start and they they took all of the precautions necessary. They clearly did all of this stuff. And then since that, a couple of leagues have kind of just been like, yeah, you know, we'll do our best. And I mean, like the NFL, obviously things are going bad. I mean, I was pretty impressed they had zero tests for as long as they did. And they do seem to have, like, they make their players wear, like, the contact tracing things whenever they're around the thing, which seems like a pretty reasonable, okay thing, like maybe a decent compromise in terms of, like, okay, you can live your life, but you got to be monitored all the time. That's kind of what we're all trying to do if you download any, like, state government contact tracing app. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, if we get, if like the wave continues again and all of a sudden it's Christmas day, everyone's like hunkered down inside and like, I don't know, we've hit another fever pitch. It might just sort of be a tough thing for the NBA again, uh, who is really concerned with their image. And I think are definitely skews like a lot more, certainly more to like the, the sort of liberal Twitter side of like, all right, we got to get all this stuff right. Zero, like they're like, oh, look at us. We got zero tests. That's amazing. But there's a lot of people out there who are like, yeah, all right. So there's like 25 tests positive in football, but we get football and we get some mm-hmm. people in the stands. I, I'm very curious to see how they're gonna do that this time around because they went to the they went to the far extreme with the bubble, and I'm curious what sort of compromises they might make this time. I just feel like in order to help bring our long national nightmare to a close, I need to see Santa Claus on Christmas Day. And you see LeBron dunking on Joel Embiid on Christmas Day. Those are the two things I'm looking for. And I hope Adam Silver has is looking out for me and my priorities. I, I, I don't know. I think we've seen, like you said, football, I mean, it, it's gone better than I think people could. And it seems like the issue now is like the colleges and stuff like that. I mean, all things considered, with the number of people involved, it could have been a complete disaster. And there have been a couple of teams where it like turned like the Titans or whatever was like a straight up full-blown disaster going on. Um, so it's risky, but I think I kind of also look into it where it's like, um, so in regards to Kyle saying that it's a lot of games in a short period of time, I agree. But if they're able to reduce the amount of travel that these guys are doing, um, because I think the biggest grind that we hear a lot about and what, how much of it's true or not, who knows, but the thing that we hear about throughout previous regular season is like, well, the grind is the fact that you have like four games and five nights on a West coast road trip. So you game, you play a game, you get on like the flight and like your sleep schedule is all off. Whereas if they do a situation where you travel to like another city one day, and then you have the difficulty to be like back to back. But if you do like three or four games there, you don't have to deal with traveling from place to place. Um, and then maybe then you go back to your home market and then you're able to see your family and everything like that, where it's almost like short business trips sort of thing. Um, I think that would maybe help offset it. So it's really like you guys saying, it, it comes down to how much do they prioritize the good PR of like passing without any sort of positive tests. Um, if they're able to risk a couple of guys testing positive, how do they kind of compensate? Because it's one thing for a football team who have like whatever, 50 guys on the roster, totally different thing for a basketball team where you have your 15 guys plus like the two-way guys. So maybe they'll even have some different provisions in that they might work out with the players association to like I, I remember the bubble, right? They were like, okay, if somebody opts out, you can sign somebody for your bubble team on like this exception or whatever. So maybe they'll have some flexibility for the roster. It just feels like between to get this ready for Christmas, to get the draft done, free agency done, figure out whatever the hell they're going to do about the cap, figure out like flexibility for rosters for COVID, like how you're going like, to, it was already sort of like a little bubbling under the surface when they were coming up with the bubble ideas. Like, well, I don't know if we're totally down with this from the player's side. So it's just, I don't know if they'll get it done, Chris. There's a lot of things to check off. They have a good relationship between the league and the players association, but um, they were able to pull off one miracle. Maybe they can do it a second time, but I think it'll probably inevitably be, inevitably be bumpier than it was for the bubble. So I don't know. It's, it's a strange situation, but I can't, you know, fault them for trying because everybody else is trying, I guess. So whatever. With expanded rosters, are are you saying get Luke May on the Bucks? Is that what you're saying, Riley? He's too busy getting buckets in Turkey right now, or wherever the hell he is. So I, I think we could give him a call and be like, "Nah," he's like, "I'm a superstar here in this small Italian town that I'm in, so I'm I'm good to go." How did his agent 
con so mm-hmm. many people into giving this guy. They didn't. Like, what they did uh, was none of the highlights from a summer league or any time with the herd. He was like, check out these North Carolina highlights, though. Like, check check oh, out what he's doing from North Carolina. <laughs> check out this superstar in the making and just some dude in Northern Italy was like, you know what? I like the Tar Heels, so why not bring this guy here? It's just like some owner of like a, I don't know, like a butcher. I'm being stereotypical against Italian. Sorry, Italian listeners. It was a butcher in North Italy. It was like who owns the team, who brought them in. I don't know. Speaking of potential additions to the Butcher roster, let's 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 hone in a little <laughs> bit on their potential of their offseason. Uh, haven't heard a lot of reports. Well, there are a few reports, but you know, there's not a whole lot to go on right now. The draft will be on November 18th. Um, so we'll see if there's any more stuff leading up to then. It sounds like there's still the, the CBA is supposed to be finalized and whatever their proposal is going to be for this next year by, I think, the end of October, by Halloween. Um, so maybe we'll know even more after that once teams kind of have an idea of what they're going to be doing in terms of the salary cap. From everything I've heard, it, for everything we've heard, I certainly have not heard anything in terms of I have no sources or anything. I just read what people see. It sounds like it's probably going to be like this year. So I guess the first question, Kyle, is if you were to just rank them, what what are your off-season priorities for Milwaukee? So replacing Eric Bledsoe is number one. I, I think everyone is in agreement there that Bledsoe... Poor was, Eric. We're just I out here like this. I feel like he's got to be somewhat aware. Like, yeah, I didn't do so well. So I yeah. think <laughs> him is going to be number one. I think number two is adding more scoring scoring options and just I don't know when I say scoring options I think of someone that can score more way than one you know I think the problem with the Bucks the last few years with their system is you bring in a bunch of guys that can shoot and you let Giannis do all the work creating you give it to someone and all they're responsible for is shooting you know kind of like Wes Matthews he was he came in and his role was to shoot threes and guard the other team's best you know perimeter offensive talent and that works to an extent, but the problem is you also, when the shots aren't falling, you need some kind of alternative option. And as much as we sometimes don't love Chris Middleton's tough shot express, sometimes you need a guy that is just going to get that type of basket. Or being able, if Eric Bledsoe and Giannis can't get to the hoop, then you need a third person else that Brockton had specialized in, is he would be able to get to the hoop and still finish. So I think it's just adding – number two would be adding offensive talent in ways to score in a variety of ways. And I think the third thing for me is going to be getting rid of the deadwood. You know, get find a way to offload Ursula Lissova. Find a way to offload on DJ Wilson. Don't bring back Pat Connaughton. Probably don't bring back Sterling Brown unless you get him on such a low deal. It's just you, the bench mob doesn't work in the playoffs. You need eight players – to realistically do well in the playoffs, and the Bucks have three players that you feel good about in Giannis, Middleton, and Brooke. And then they have, you know, George Hill, who I would say is more reliable than most. And then you have Dante, who's going to blow very hot and cold. And then after that, it's kind of a big old question mark. <laughs> so I think just getting the bench so that at least you can get one or two guys that can come off the bench and put in, you know, a couple good minutes to give Giannis a breather. You know, that's what we were hoping Marvin Williams could do. That was kind of a mixed bag. And they tried that with Miritich two years ago. That failed miserably. So it's, it's just more getting a new bench to compete uh, that way so when you get to the playoffs – Bud doesn't have to go 10 guys. He only needs to go eight or nine. 
So those are my top three priorities, I guess. Before I get into my priorities, I think it was it was almost a little morbid this past week because I believe on the Bucks Twitter this was bench mob week. And oh, going yeah. through I remember at the height of the season we were I don't know if we were convinced, but like the hype was like the bench mob is gonna like win us six titles and like you go through and like all the highlights from the season it was like now today is Thanasis's day and it's like season high of eight points <laughs> so, like, yeah. so I thought it was beautiful that they were putting it all together and really drove home I was like wow it's sort of a sad crew that we got going on but my uh my off-season priorities one get Josh Oppenheimer a nice apartment because he's going to be reworking Giannis's shot and unlocking it for us and I Cannot believe this guy is back. I don't even remember. Was he on Larry Drew's staff too? Yeah. Is he like on the – okay. So I, I, that has to mean that it was like a Giannis pick, right? He was like, we got to bring this guy back or whatever. It's I don't know if there was what, any real reporting around Yeah, that. what do you guys think? I didn't see any reporting. I didn't, I didn't insinuate this too hard in the Brew article news or I wrote or anything. But it seems like a pretty strong like, yeah, I don't know, the Simmons guy or – sermons what i forget his name the guy on bud staff that's the shot doctor that Giannis has been working with for two years i mean it's possible Giannis is like i mean it's not working guys my free throw percentage went mm-hmm. down the tube last year so they were like Giannis said bring in oppenheimer Giannis, Giannis did, though. i think here's what happened i think they looked and saw okay Giannis's shot is not working so you get rid of the current person and then they probably did some research it was like saw his rookie year Giannis, and at least thought this guy was around. Maybe the, I think it was more the front office slash like ownership was like, wait, this guy sucks. Let's get the old guy because the old guy at least looked to give Giannis. Okay, so but the but the confidence. old guy was just languishing at James Madison University. Like he didn't like. Uh, it's not like other teams. Like Oppenheimer went to the Rockets for a little bit, and they were like, nah. And then mm-hmm. they sent him down to the. He's been going down the totem pole. He went to the G League, and then he's at James Madison University, a fine old institution mm-hmm. of America, but not one of our prime basketball meccas. I like Kyle bringing the ownership. So I let's let's get in the mind of Mark Lassie, right? He's he or maybe uh, maybe Alex are very online, right? And they see through one of the themes this offseason were people tweeting the same exact 15 second clip of Giannis making two threes as a rookie, and then like him airballing a three, right? So that was one of the big pieces of media we've gotten from the Bucks so far this this offseason. They see that like. Well, who was on the staff when he was a rookie? What do we do here? They look. They're like, oh. Uh, John, John Oppenhumer, he was here. So they call him up and he gets saved from the depths of going to like, you know, basketball, the Sahara or whatever. And he's brought back. So I like the idea of ownership stepping in and being like, well, we're not going to actually pay the tax. So let's bring in something a little bit off the tax or off the cap. Let's get the shooting coach back. in. I like that. That's a beautiful story. I mean, I would look, I'm glad Giannis made threes as a rookie, but also he shot like a fourth grader. Like he did the two-handed push shot. And so like, I'm fine with that. I was fine with that reworking it. I'm sorry he hasn't made it since then, but like, that was a terrible looking shot and it probably wasn't going to last. And I, I fine. I know there are weird looking shots, but that one was like, the, who, the dude had been just been working with like his gym teacher or something mm-hmm. for eight years. Like, <laughs> Come on. 
I love every time that video gets tweeted, somebody's like, he's got shades of a young KD. Every single time that video goes up, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's two made three-pointers. He's looking like a young KD out there. Every time, like clockwork, somebody puts it up. I think my favorite is when someone's like, wow, Giannis had such a great shot. What happened? And then everyone immediately like, Jason Kidd happened. That's what <laughs> Uh, it's awesome. So anyways, besides Mr. Oppenheimer, my, my actual priorities would be uh, figuring out the Giannis extension thing. Uh, I think that kind of goes without saying, but depending on what he does, that really determines how you approach the rest of the offseason going into next season as well. Um, I agree with Kyle that replacing Eric, sorry, Eric, good guy, I guess. Uh, but it just the style that he plays, I, I think the difficulty is this, right? We, we've seen him in his role on this team for two seasons and it just it doesn't get it done but that doesn't mean he's not a guy who has value or isn't a really good guard and there might be a team you know who out there i don't know if they would look for more guard help just like a guard to help get the team through like a younger team so i think he still does have value and he could still contribute to other teams it's just i'm not sure if stylistically that works here um the other thing is i agree with kyle with the bench i want to see them try to gain like an I don't know gain an asset if that makes sense I, I would be curious if there's anybody else on the roster that they're willing to risk selling high on so the big option here would be like Brooke for example where um I think he is the prototypical stretch five right now in the league and he's excellent on our defense but I think there were questions this past playoffs of like we're so reliant upon this drop zone scheme. And if you ask Brooke to do much else beyond that, how effective is he as a defender? And so you kind of, maybe you start thinking like, well, could we find somebody who's able to do sort of stretching the floor, but maybe might be a little bit more versatile on defense. Do they maybe ship him, get some assets back that either help them in the immediate or like a couple years down the road. And then you can say, well, now is the time to do Giannis at the five. They seem resistant to that, so I'm not sure if that's the option. But, like, I'd be curious to see, besides the moves that we all kind of expect them to do, right, move Eric and, like, try and get some more scoring, are they willing to do something a little bit more off the wall? Because Giannis went in and said, I'm willing to do, or, you know, I'd be okay if we did some untraditional roster, you know, construction or whatever. Does that include doing the quote-unquote unthinkable and moving the guy, Brooke, that you got on a minimum – you got two really good seasons out of them. Is now the time to move on and see if you can't flip that into something else and find another guy to step in, whether that be Giannis or some other free agent. So that's kind of I, when we last recorded, I was like, my main thing is just do something different. I think moving on from Eric and Brooke, one of them, you could just say that's just not not going to work here. Brooke, that's a little bit more of a gamble, but maybe he has even more value. Those things would be interesting to me, I guess. Going Outside of that, I don't know. We haven't heard much about... Uh, Chris at all so I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion then unless like some crazy deal comes out of left field he's going to be here next season Giannis obviously is going to be here next season um, Dante I'm cool with keeping but I wouldn't necessarily if there's a, a move you can make to upgrade for some more help now I'd be okay with that so it's just kind of all and I think the other thing too I would like them to pick somebody with a draft pick uh, I know it's kind of lame but I'm just kind of getting tired of talking like George Hill discussion so even if it's just some dude who sucks I can at least put all my hopes and dreams into him. Be like, he's going to be our point guard of the future. Uh, so that would be kind of my things, I guess. I don't really have a lot of strong feelings for what they should do. Just do something different. I I don't know. I clearly didn't think about this very much beforehand. Uh, just asking you guys. I think in terms of off-season priorities, I agree doing something 
it seems like we absolutely have to do something different. Um, I don't know. I think I'm pr I'm pretty mixed on the Brook thing. I think I have a I think I have a hard time with it, but I think I'm doing the the sort of in I can't envision what I haven't seen yet, and so I'm I'm like so stuck in my mind of seeing Giannis and Brook and having insane rim protection, and obviously it fell apart in the playoffs, but. Um, I don't know. It's so weird because the year before the defense was not an issue, even against the the Raptors who were a really good offensive team. Defense was not really the issue. They still had a yeah. really good defense. And then all of a sudden in the playoffs, I mean, even against the magic, I know it looked bad, but it really wasn't that bad. And then the heat obviously were able to kind of decimate us. It just felt like the whole defense was sort of off. I still have a little bit of a hard time thinking like the whole league has figured out, figured out zone drop in the four months that they were there. Um, but clearly there, clearly there need to be a, a few different tactics taken. Um, I, I think they absolutely need to get someone, like Kyle was saying, that can do things on a couple different levels. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about is, so obviously single game sample size, but one of the things we saw like Wes Matthews doing is at least like in game five, he would like draw, he would drive like mm -hmm. a little bit. You know what I mean? So do you guys think the Bucks system is too encouraging of some of their role players of just shooting and not letting them do something different at all. Because I mean, yes, of course you want Giannis to drive. Of course you want him to do that. But it, I feel like especially Wes Matthews was like, all right, we brought you in to shoot threes, but he's not like an elite shooter. So it's like, yes, it's, it's a good thing for him to do, but like maybe he could do something else for at least one possession. And then at least like some that might make someone think about him if you pass it to him and, they might, I don't know, it might open things up a little bit more for him to be able to do a drive. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think with Dante and George Hill, that's one of the things that you kind of notice is, yes, they can shoot, but they can also, you know, take someone off the dribble. They can do a little bit of playmaking. And that I think that was something that with Connaughton and Sterling Brown and, you know, even Marvin Williams, like it's like with a lot of these other guys, it's like they're there to shoot and only shoot. And I don't know, and I don't know if Pat Connors is good at driving. We never saw it because all he did was chuck up threes and only make like five of them, a five out of twenty-eight in a series. So it's fine. <laughs> but I think with, that's what we were talking about. I know in our chat we were talking about it a long time ago. But someone like James Harden, where they have three levels of scoring, that wouldn't be a bad thing to have someone that has the ability to score at three different levels. Maybe you can get two of them. Maybe it's someone that can get to the hoop with ease, but also is a reliable three-point shooter. Maybe it is someone that can simply just hit a mid-range shot or a three. Maybe it's someone that can tough shot express it only. I don't know. But just having that variety so that, yeah, when they have the ball, you're not assuming it's automatically going to be shot. They can take do a pump fake, and that can throw the defense off and create something else. And if, I mean, other than that, maybe someone that has playmaking ability. Because I think with Bledsoe, he's really good at – he can drive to the hoop. But that's really it. His playmaking isn't great. He's not a great three-point – he's not a good three-point shooter. I think if he had any semblance of pat, like high passing ability, that would be okay to offset it. So, yeah, I think if there was players that had other abilities besides I'm going to chuck it up and only hit 30% of the shots, yeah, that'd be nice. I think your question, Adam, is a great one because it kind of ties back. It's like a chicken or the egg sort of situation, right? Where it's like, how much of what is at fault here is the system rigidity? Um, I think we can all agree, and I agree with Kyle's point, that 
we should look for the point guard. It, maybe this whole thing is we're overthinking it because the system was as good as it was. So maybe the the solution is simply upgrade from Eric. Then maybe you lose a little bit of the defense, but you get somebody who's a more traditional playmaker who kind of gives you a different look where teams don't necessarily aren't able to like sag off of him as much and kind of play him in a one dimensional role. And then maybe after that, like you said, I mean, these guys are all professional basketball players. They're not all all-stars, obviously, but they're not guys – they should ostensibly be guys besides Kyle Korver because he was old as dirt. But everybody else should be able to, like, do a little bit of something different. And, like, Dante, for example, he's the the epitome of doing stuff. Not everybody has to do stuff to, like, the same sort of extent as Dante, but, like – a little bit of flexibility for these guys. I understand why throughout the regular season, it's just like, let's just hammer teams with this. We win as many games as we do. You understand why that is. And even I fell into the trap. Like when I was lamenting about Wes Matthews earlier in the year, I was like, why is this guy driving? This is so dumb. Like I even fell, I I got hooked by the same, you know, you could say propaganda, the same messaging, the same idea as like, you bring a guy in and he does this specific thing because Giannis does so much, because Chris does so much, because Eric's able to do so much. These other guys are just kind of there to do limited things because there's only so much usage that usage that can go around. But maybe the offseason is as simple as upgrade your point guard from like an offensive playmaking standpoint and give everybody else a little bit more flexibility. Because I felt like we were almost more dangerous when the couple of times Brooke was going inside or like he was doing a little bit different. Um when, for example, like Giannis is tough because he's so singular, but like him trying to do throughout the regular season, let's do a couple of post moves. It's like, this is great. Like, this is something different from what we're doing. So maybe we're overthinking it. And I think if there are those people who are like, we shouldn't freak out. Yes, it's, you know, it's not great that this happened two times in a row, but now we know that if we can do a little bit of adjustment, we're so close as it is, don't detonate it. I have some sympathy for that argument. If you go from it, it's like, the main issues is like the point guard and just doing a little bit more flexibility, especially on the offensive end, I would say. So maybe that's the solution. And if that's the case, you you should be more optimistic about the Bucks going into next season because all the tools are already there to make that happen. And it's very possible that might be the reality given the sort of limited tools that the Bucks will probably have to make major additions this off season. In terms of stuff that we've kind of heard, I mean, at least, Directly after the ouster, it, like we were talking about earlier, Shams talked that Bledsoe could be like a potential trade candidate. That really seems to be the prevailing thought. I know on the Zach Lowe, Bill Simmons offseason pod, Zach Lowe mentioned something about maybe the Buffs, Bucks potentially having interest in Victor Oladipo. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about that, but especially like just, I guess, upgrading point guard or whatever we want to upgrade. I, I think you made a good point earlier, Riley, about I'm very curious to see what sort of value some of the Bucks bench players might have, because I would say up until the postseason, everyone was saying one of the most deep teams in the league, Milwaukee, look at them. They, they run 15 deep. If the Gnosis is playing, if you, if you got rid of Giannis and Chris and you had just the rest of the team, they probably win 65 was something that was bandied <laughs> about unironically a couple of times during the season. I'm curious what the, I think the value of Bledsoe is probably still pretty good given he only has two years left on the deal and the last year is partially guaranteed. And I still think, I think if he's like your primary guy on just an okay team, he could probably like, I mean, if he went to the Knicks or something, he could probably, I'm sure they would love him. They'd be like, wow, Eric Bledsoe. Um, so I think he'd he get have- an all-star nod because he would save the Knicks. He'd be like, this is it. And the Knicks are coming back to, on the back of Eric. 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm curious, like if some of those players opt in, what side? Well, like if Robin opts in for his player option, if West did, I'm curious what sort of value they might have around the league. Um, but I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Kyle, or the potential Victor Oladipo thing, which was going around? Yeah, I feel like Oladipo and what was it, Bogdan Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich, like the two that were kind of floated around as like maybe Milwaukee swings a trade. And Oladipo's a weird one because he's still young that you probably still have to give up a decent amount, but he's also an expiring contract. So at the same time, it's like, how much are you really wanting to give up for a guy that's essentially a rental? It's one thing if it was a really, really, if Chris, say if this was Chris Paul and Chris Paul has one year left on his contract. Yeah. You make that move. You go for it. You take that gamble. But with Victor Oladipo, it's like, we don't know. There's questions about, you know, health and durability because he's been frequently injured. It's, kind of one of those where depending on what you give up, it's either going to look like a genius move by the Bucks organization or an absolutely stupid gamble. And I do think it would be kind of hilarious if the Bucks were to trade Eric Bledsoe to Indiana for Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon is once again back to the same bullshit that he was in Milwaukee and that's why he left. It would kind of be hilarious. I thought about doing when I was doing when Mitchell proposed the trade idea. I was like, I called it the y'all want this back proposal. It would <laughs> Bledsoe and the first round pick and just say, hey, you want this first round pick back and also probably you want to deal with this all over again? Because why not? So it it would be interesting. Bogdanovich, I think it just depends on how much you sign him for and what you do with that signing trade. Um, just because unless you're I, I also don't know if he's going to be that guy that really takes it to the next level, considering what you do at point guard. Maybe if you have a point guard that just sets people up, it works, but I, I don't know. I feel like Old Depot is a, you can get him for a relatively cheap trade, do it, while Bogdanovich is more how much are you signing that contract for situation. But they wouldn't be upgrades over, you know, most of the roster itself, so it's worth taking a shot. Yeah, I'd be sort of scared to death the Oladipo thing just because of the injury thing. And let's all be honest, he didn't look good in the bubble. Part of that was I think he rushed back because they're like, well, we're not actually going to pay you or whatever. It's like, it seemed like a strange situation. So if he wanted from that experience out, I can understand that he's trying to force his way out because he might not feel comfortable with the situation. I find it interesting that the two guys that have been really touted so far are combo guards. Are like They're not true point guards. So it feels like I wonder if they're still thinking of trying to like, I wonder if like free agency is the way they'll go with that because the Chris Paul talk seemed to have died down. Um, I don't know. Somebody was suggesting that on like the Simmons podcast or not Simmons, uh, Zach Lowe podcast or like Brian Woodhorse or somebody was like, Oh, that sort of seems like it's not going to happen for some reason or another. So that maybe that's out and they're kind of like adjusting and maybe there's some free agent guard they might go for. Um, I don't know. I think I'd probably like, Bogdanovich a little bit more just because he doesn't have the injury history and I don't know it's just strange it's it's hard to figure out I think any sort of upgrade where you bring in one of those guys would probably take over for Wes if you find another point guard to come in and it's like well is Wes happy with that does he like opt out so I think they're going in the right direction I I also wondered about like Gallinari or somebody like a a forward option to help out because as much as I love Ursan, team legend, huge, his statue. As soon as he retires, his number's going up in the rafters. But I'm not sure if I necessarily want to keep rolling with him and, like, whatever buyout guy we can find who's about to retire to, like, come in and be our backup forward or whatever. So 
I don't know. I, I'd be interested by both. I think I would give them credit for doing that's doing something different. Is like an Oladipo home run or totally sink your franchise or like you, whatever this season or like a Bogdanovich, like just sort of a second contract buy high, see if it works. You can get somebody off the scrap heap for point guard sort of situation. So I'm okay with either. Um, but as you talked about earlier, Adam, the number of assets we have to make these things happen are super limited. And so even trying to figure out like how they could do a Bogdanovich sign and trade is sort of like, I don't know how we're going to get this done unless Bogdanovich like really forces the King's hands. Like, look, Milwaukee's one of my favorite cities to visit. The weather fits me perfectly. Like, you know, if that's his thing maybe, but otherwise it seems a little bit difficult or unrealistic right now. So. And I, I hate to invoke the name, but are either of those guys better than Malcolm Brogdon? Nope. I, I think, think so. Oladipo is more talented. That's what I think. I, I, okay, I'll say I think Oladipo <laughs> I think they're both more talented, but I don't know necessarily about better, if that makes sense. Like they have more I think Oladipo has a higher talent ceiling. Yeah, higher upside. Yeah, yeah. But the floor is much lower. I think just like the floor is so much lower. Well, Brogdon has a very good floor, not a great ceiling. Like those other guys have really good ceilings, but really terrible floors. Except yeah. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich might. Bogdanovich is kind of, he threads the needle between the two. Like he's the middling yeah. guy where like he's he's neither better than either of the guys, but he might be more like health-wise available. Like he just throughout the season and maybe into the playoffs, he might be a more like guy you can rely upon just for being available. And I think this also ties back into like the issue where we're looking at this team as like F it's just hard to figure out who we're going to trade. And like, if you had a sensibly, if you had Brogdon or whatever in his contract and maybe then you can move him or something, it's just, it's, but at the same time, you got the first round pick, which you might be able to combine with Eric to make it a sweetener and get, you know, again, if it's a small move that you need to make to upgrade, Having that in your back pocket, if you just get off of Eric with that and like whatever is salary filler to make it happen, you're still not in a bad position. So I don't, I move past the Brogdon thing, but I, I understand why people would be now looking back and like, well, that's kind of sucks that we don't have that salary just to toss in and get some value out of. So I don't know, tough play for them. Yeah, it's going to be tough to make any any trades for huge players unless they toss in a ton of salaries um, because just given like their highest salary is basically. Bledsoe, and then they yeah. got twelve million for Brooke. So, yep. um, but right, well, that shouldn't stop people from checking out the trade proposal bracket. Adam, take it away. Great, great transition. Yeah, definitely. So on brewhoop.com right now, Mitchell Maurer, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, overlord of brewhoop.com, is is put together this amazing Milwaukee Bucks trade proposal bracket that everyone should be taking part in. Everyone should be voting in. Um, it's going one through sixteen. And basically, it's like a you know, it's like a like bit like a bracket works. You go through and you vote for which trade you prefer between two of them. You open it up with the one sixteen, which was a trade with the Pistons, where the Pistons get a, a Derrick Rose and or sorry, the Pistons send over Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard, and in exchange, the Bucks send over two second round picks and Eric Bledsoe, and they match that one up with the sixteen seed, which was um, Bucks get John Wall. And yes. Wizards first round pick, <laughs> and then the the Wizards get Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, uh, the Bucks first round pick, and the second round pick, uh, and that one seemed to stir up some strong emotions. Uh, but anyway, 
this thing's going to keep going. It's a great feature on brewhoop.com. You want to follow You want to follow along with it. And I think as I think once it concludes, what we got to do is we got to get Mitchell on here and we got to have him discuss all of his trades that he put together, which one he thinks should have won and, uh, and everything that goes along with it. So definitely go to brewhoop.com. I, I, we don't want to spoil what any of the trades are going to be coming up. I, I mean, he put a lot of work into this and it's really good. So just, just definitely go to the site, take part in it and, uh, and stay tuned when eventually we'll have him on and have him discuss it. He's going to come on and be like, I just want to be honest, the John Wall trade was my favorite. That was going to be my number one seat, but I felt, <laughs> felt people would react badly to that. So, And to be fair to him, there were some stands in the comments section. I think it got like 10% of the vote when I checked it. So people were like, oh, you know, wouldn't mind swinging the old <laughs> swinging the fences with John Wall. And plus, I like the number nine pick or whatever. So I think from what I've seen, and it's also instructive for people like me who are CBA dumb to kind of get a vibe for like, what are some of the realistic options that you kind of build around if you want to do a little bit of like swapping and figure out trades of your own. So just kind of get used to like what kind of pieces are realistically going to be moving about. So I also would second going and checking out good trades so far. Yeah, there has not been a train wreck of a trade so far. There is <laughs> one that I'm particularly interested to see how people react. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's definitely one that I'm sitting here. It's like, honestly, would it be the worst idea? Maybe Milwaukee should go for it. I'm not going to say which one, but it is. It's coming up. It's. I think it's going to be one that might be relatively even, to say the least. So that's definitely, definitely go check that out. Eventually, we'll talk to future Bucks GM Mitchell Maurer about all of his trade proposals. Uh, right now, we're going to take a real quick break, and then on the other side of it, we'll do our miscellaneous topics. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. I'm for miscellaneous topics. Let's uh, let's kick it off, Riley, with uh, rapid fire questions. It's been a while since I got drafted in to do these, so it's a pleasure to come up with some questions. My first one for you guys: gut check time. Will Dante be a buck at the start of next season? Yes. No. Do you think he's getting moved in a? Well, obviously, getting moved in a trade. Do you think he's getting moved in the John Wall trade, Kyle? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly the John Walter. I don't know why else you would not throw a Dante, but no, I think he'll be included as a sweetener for a trade with Eric Bledsoe. I think that's probably oh God, if he's getting moved. Man, that's not sweet, I will not. That's, that's not raw sugar. That's sugar like, raw right there. I'm a high end person. I'm not gonna be thrilled about it, but I, I just don't. I just have a bad feeling. When he gets moved from Victor Oladipo, that's going to hurt. This is going to cut deep. Like <laughs> The future is Victor Oladipo. So, yeah, uh, I think Dante's going to be a buck just because he just does so much stuff. Plus, we have this thing where we keep our rookies for forever. DJ Wilson made his entire contract as a buck. We keep our rookies. That's what we do. So uh, shout out to John Horse. Second question. Fave, favorite form of reading a book? So, like, the options are, like, a hard, like a hardcover, paperback, like a Kindle, on your phone, on your computer? If you sit down to read, what is your favorite way to read the book? I like the physical thing, but I prefer a paperback over a hardcover. Mm-hmm. I So I just started a book, and it's a hardcover. And I really like the hardcover because it's just more stable, and I feel like I know where it is. Yeah, But the more – I realize I'm more of a late-night reader where I just – it's, I start reading the book and it's like 8.30 at night and having a Kindle wouldn't be a bad option. Emma has one and it would be kind of nice to just like turn off the light, have the dim down Kindle. I 
I would say paperbacks, not paperback, hardcover is still number one, but Kindle has jumped up to number two. I just purchased a Kindle Oasis earlier this week because it was a good deal at Best Buy, so that's what's prompted that question. Because I know my mother-in-law bought it on Prime Day. Yeah, they good deal on that. I would agree. The issue with the hardcover or uh, yeah, hardcover is like I'm thinking almost of like Kyle in bed and he has like a college textbook on his lap that he's trying to like hold up in front of him. Where he's like, all right, this is my hand. My hands are shaking right now. So I agree. If I was just at home like reading all the time at home, it would probably be hardcover. But like I travel. I read a lot when I'm like at work or like commuting to work or whatever. So in that case, I definitely vote paperback. But the Oasis or like any sort of Kindle or e-readers are, I mean, they're pretty good too. So I'm sort of agnostic. I don't read on computers or like my phone or anything though. feels like that's too hard on my eyes. I, I already look at a screen enough as it is. So let me do something a little bit different. So, um, okay, question. Lopez Brothers, will they both be here next season? Will one of them go or will both of them be gone? What would you guys, what would your guess be? Let's just say start of next season just because i know it's all over the place but start next season both brothers no brothers one or the other both yeah i agree both i think it's gonna be tough robin will probably stick around as depth brooke would be only if there's like some crazy deal i think which is the fantasy land i'm living in but i think they're probably both back too um okay so we have a couple of married gentlemen on this podcast we're all happily in long stable relationships but let's go back to the earlier days right when yeah. you you were you invited somebody over for a meal or something and you had to have a go-to something that you make like dinner date it could be a breakfast meal you think you're really good at if you're to impress a date what would be your go-to meal that you feel strongest you can make (laughs) the silence is deafening (laughs) oh yikes um i mean emma will be the first to tell you my cooking skills and variety of what I can cook was very limited when we first started dating. Um, but if I had to pick something, I'd probably go shrimp scampi. I, I think that would be a doable one because, you know, it's making pasta, very, very simple. And then it's just taking a bunch of shrimp and putting it on a pan and just cooking that. Two things I can do. At least I can do those two things. So I'd say shrimp scampi. Okay. I'm not going. Yeah, I'm not going early, early days because that dude wasn't cooking much at all. Ramen, uh, ramen with a little uh, bit of with a green onion, slices of green onion. (laughs) Want Burger King? I'll pick you up a Whopper. Um, I'd say, I'd say I I really liked making ribs. I I haven't made them in a while, but I liked making ribs, and they seem they seem hard, but honestly, they weren't that hard. I just kind of like rip the thing, rip the skin off season them and then put them in the oven i do would do the oven but they still tasted good so i feel like i'm my next adventure in cooking is like a grill of some sort just because i have like the oven the stovetop but there's so many different like meats and things like if i had a grill i think this would take it to the next level but i if i was going on a date with you guys i would appreciate those meals so you get the the riley seal of approval on on those dish ideas uh final question for you Next season starts, Bledsoe is gone, but George Hill is our starter. Are you happy or are you not happy? I'm happy enough. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's old, but he's pretty good. Yeah. And, and I think I think it means maybe they have someone else. Maybe they got someone else who's hurt, potentially, mm-hmm. who's waiting in the wings, which isn't a great sign either. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with George Hill. Yeah, I would accept it because I had said – you know, I don't care 
who it is, but you just need to get a different point guard. Even if it's a worse player, you just need someone else other than Eric Bledsoe. So I would be okay with George Hill starting because that means you traded Bledsoe and, yeah, you either got someone that's hurt or you just decided to collect assets, which would help Milwaukee as well. So, yeah, I'd be okay with that. That or they picked the point guard from James Madison University on Josh Oppenheimer's suggestion. They're like, this is the point guard of the future. And then we can all be insane and convince ourselves that he's a multiple-time all-star. So that's what I got for our rapid-fire questions this week. Thanks, Riley. That was good. The date one really threw me for a loop. That one was oh, dug deep. Yeah, I'm to of early me, and it's like early me isn't cooking. Yeah, I suppose I should. I should have been like, if you have your skills now, but you're having somebody over for a, a meal of some sort, will be your go-to. But oh, I'm baking yeah. something. I'm not cooking something. I'm baking something. <laughs> that would be kind of. That'd be you know. To me, I'm romantic at heart. If I came over and somebody baked me like a cake or a nice, you know, some cupcakes or some nice bread or something, I think I'd appreciate yeah, it too. Bread, you'll get an apple crisp or a bread pudding. You'll get one of those three. I'd be, that'd be enough for me. So, all right. Next segment. It's time for vulture talk. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 That it is. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, since the season ended to see every other team lining up. I think. If anybody's been paying attention, there was about two weeks ago, there was a wave of being like, the Mavs are going to be first in line for Giannis. And like the way that that was twisted was the Mavs would really like Giannis and not that the Mavs would be like Giannis's first choice, but everybody's got to jump into the old carrion eating competition. And they were like, I'm right here for that. Uh, the Heat did the same, but we have a dark horse and they acknowledge they're a dark horse this week. But our good friends over at Pounding the Rock, our uh, Spurs sister site, they published an article on the 22nd that said, the Spurs could be a dark horse destination for Giannis Adetokounmpo. And to be fair to them, they were like, probably not going to happen. It's just more so like we have the cap room or whatever. We could have the cap room. And I do note that uh, one of the commenters in Courier New font, which I think is the equivalent of doing like a slash S at the end, said, the obvious question is how well Giannis, Luka Doncic, and Trey Young fit in with our young core. So I appreciate that. I think their, their readers, their fans also see the Spurs getting Giannis as a very uh, low possibility. But credit to the folks over at Pounding the Rock for at least having the gall, the wherewithal to put together this article. Uh, and I think the task from here until next season, especially if Giannis doesn't sign, is figuring out if we can get all other 29 teams to declare at some point that they too are in the running for Giannis's services. So I'm going to be looking out for that. Uh, nothing too different though else on the Vulture Talk front this week. Wonderful. I'm so glad that Giannis to the Spurs. So Giannis to the Spurs confirmed. Thank yep, you, Riley. Confirmed. All right. Next segment. Next segment. Kyle's film review. Yeah, because of our six week ish layoff, I've actually watched movies. One of them was Halloween Town, which is fitting considering we are approaching Halloween. Um, a classic on Disney, old school as it can be. And watching it, it was kind of one of those where you, it seemed like the plot was very flawed. <laughs> um, I think my favorite part though was all of a sudden it was like we have to figure out this cure. Like, I want to be, like, the main character was like, I'm a witch and I want to celebrate Halloween. Then it was, oh, I'm in the city and i got to get trading. And then it turned into, oh, the, the bad guy just showed up and is now just, like, taking over the town. 
And everyone's just totally chill with it. And I think the funniest part was the bad guys just like doing all these things and the townspeople are just not caring. They're just like, all right, whatever. You're a new overlord now. I guess it is what it is. And you had the first fight between like the good person and the villain and it just ended. I was like, oh, that's it. I was expecting something more dramatic. It just ends. It just like ended. It was just a very broken up like this it was a movie that, you know, I was starting to doze off and wouldn't recommend it. It was kind of a mess. Um, and yet they somehow made like three more movies of Halloween Town just to add insult to injury. It's like, how do you get away with it the first time? <laughs> so not good. Don't recommend watching it. Um, yeah, one out of ten. It was not. It was brutal. What was weird about that movie was I think I saw it as well and like it escalated so quickly from like this like kid like oh I, I have like magic powers so like they're fighting Satan himself or whatever it was like it escalated <laughs> super quickly which I mean is fine I guess but I, and I think that was the same for like the other Halloween Town movies where like the the stakes were so dire like so many lives the universe everything was on the line like why is this on disney right now i was always confused every time i watched well, like, it. the main characters not even good at using magic and her younger sister is clearly the prodigy it's like okay maybe you should focus on the younger sister developing her powers and they're just like nope nope not go away I think that'll be a beautiful metaphor for this coming season when george hill is the starter and whoever from uh whatever john madison is going to be our guy uh, off the bench it'll be very similar to what we're going to be dealing with here soon Ultra 2.0 <laughs> um yeah so that was halloween town it was not good i don't recommend watching it um so to counterbalance the bad i'm going to bring in something good great british bake-off everyone's favorite new season started i think there's three episodes now two or three episodes already so far, there hasn't been a personality or baker that really stood out in terms of being the star, being the main entertainer. But there are definitely there's one man named Rowan, and bless his heart. But that guy has the worst time management skill in the world, and it stresses me out watching him because there will be five minutes left, and he still has like sixty percent of the work still to go. He's very stressful, but he's a very he's a very charming. It's like the nice, charming old person. That like tells you fun stories and it's like you're a good person you, you just seem very wholesome but holy shit you're stressing me out you need to get this bread in the oven like what are you doing <laughs> so first couple episodes have been good new season they brought in a new host um he's exceeded all expectations so if you have a chance watch great british bake-off always always a very nice relaxing time despite what any idiot on the ring on the ringer may say I was going to say, I saw you going after some commentary about it. Is it because they got rid of Mary Berry? I, mean, sorry, I shouldn't say got rid of because it sounds like they bunted it up in a potato sack and like threw, <laughs> threw her off the tames or something. But so did they just, is Paul Hollywood still on too? What's the yeah, deal? Paul Hollywood's still okay, the good. original. But the problem with the article was saying like, oh, here's how to make it better. And the first thing was like, get rid of Paul Hollywood. I was like, okay, but now you just got rid of like the one like consistent mm -hmm. star of the show. Yep. And then it's just like try to propose, like stop trying to do all these things. It's like, you, it's fine. It is fine. Yes. Prue is not as good as Mary Berry. Like Mary Berry is great. And if they can find a way to bring her back, they should do it. But the hosts are good. The bakers are, I think the problem is now the bakers are trying to do like more and more and more. Just like the bar is getting higher and higher. So it just seems more absurd compared to like when you watch it from the beginning, it's just like, oh, I made this loaf of bread. And it was that both like I made a loaf of bread in the shape of 
Freddie Mercury. It's like, oh, <laughs> we really out, we really escalated things, but no, it's fine. The, that article was a waste of time. It was a waste of reading it. All the ideas were stupid. Besides bringing Mary Barry back, there it is. One out of ten for Halloween Town. Great British Bake Off. Go tune in. Uh, Riley, did you have a fountain pen thing today? Um, I, I did not because I keep forgetting to bring them, but I do have other pens I can talk about. And this week we're going to be talking about my Zebra Sarasa clips. These are the vintage color edition. I'm missing the black and the camel yellow, but uh, the thing is I got so deep down the fountain pen hole that I totally neglected any other type of pen. These guys are gel pens. If you're looking for a gel pen, if you don't like the vibe, the feel of a fountain pen, and you're like, well, I don't really want to use these two-cent Bix that everybody gets at the office. Gel pens might be the way to go. And I would say Zebra is the top brand in the area. They're a Japanese company. These colors, I mean, they they write super smooth. I'm, like, blown away with how smooth. They're 0.5 millimeters, so they're like a not like a thick line. They're still – you can write pretty small. I write small as it is. I can write pretty clearly all things together. Um and I think the vintage color set from Zebra, they have 10 different colors and they all look great. Like they're all sort of muted. Um, you can get like neon yellow in from Zebra. Like they have colors all over the place. But these ones, if you're looking for something in the office or like schoolwork or something, nothing too crazy, but gives you a little bit different than like your base big blue or your base big red or big black, these might be the way to go. So Zebra Sarasa Eclipse vintage color edition is this week's pen review. So pretty good. I've, Yet to really find a pen or any sort of product that I purchased where I've been mad or like upset about it. That probably speaks more so on my low expectations in this hobby, but for the most part, I've been pleased. So these ones join the Pantheon. An incredible amount of post books discussion content today for everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. I was trying to come up with some sort of prediction we could do, uh, but I couldn't. So last question I have is you guys doing anything for not like crazy, but are you dressing up at all for Halloween? Probably not. I haven't. I didn't last year, and there wasn't a pandemic, so highly unlikely I will this year. We too will not be. I think Halloween actually got canceled around here because, uh, for obvious reasons, it's difficult to hand out candy to children without there being potential for problems. So I think Halloween trick or treating got canceled. Uh, and my crew of people that I might do like a Halloween party with, I haven't heard whether or not costumes are going to be a thing. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing. So. Uh, not this year. Plus, I'm like, I've always had bad Halloween costume ideas. Do you guys have one from like your youth where you're like, this was the greatest, the costume that was just, I aced it? I would say it was my junior, senior year of college, and I dressed up as a surgeon. So I was wearing a mask and gloves. I was actually ahead of the time, apparently. But yeah, I wore like <laughs> green scrubs. I had a mask. I had gloves. And I just like walked around, just like making sure, like, stayed sterile, just shouting mm-hmm. sterile at people. And then I would have a drink. I would say that was my like peak. How it was very easy. It wasn't that expensive either. So that was a good time. Adam, definitely not from college. I went as a uh, a couple of very interesting costumes for a couple of years. Um, but my wife is really into Halloween, so she mm-hmm. like she like really likes to do a costume. Cutting it pretty close this year, but I think she has the whole week off or something. Um, so I think she's probably going to be like doing some, putting together something crazy and weird for us to wear. The last couple of years, we did like 
Wednesday and Friday Adams or something. We did that one year. Mm -hmm. She like did the whole face makeup and did all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if anyone watched the Netflix show Maniac, but we went as people from that last year. Um, anyway, she's pretty into it. So I, I imagine I'll be dressing up in something on Saturday. So if she doesn't have an idea yet, may I submit for the committee? You go as Dante and she can go as Suki Hobson. <laughs> Just, um, you know. It's a bit of a deep cut, but if she's interested, I think maybe you could run that idea by her for a couple's costume of <laughs> some sort. Well, I haven't I haven't thrown out any suggestions yet, so I'm sure she'll say, well, I wish you hadn't thrown out any suggestions. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why don't you just keep your mouth shut? How yeah. about that? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it was good to talk to you guys. It was good. Hope hope the listeners enjoyed our return. Um, I think we'll probably be a little bit more regular now after this break. We'll have the draft is going to be coming up. Uh, really, actually really soon, I think like November 18th. So we'll probably at least have a show for that. Just break down a couple different prospects. Of course, we all know how well the post Dante draft uh, show went with uh, me hating on him, now loving him. <laughs> but anyway, go to brewhoop.com. We're going to be starting up the brewhoop community draft board. If you want to take part in that, start ranking prospects from uh, 11 to 24 this year. We're just going to set up our big board. Of course, the trade proposal bracket we mentioned earlier um, Riley's Monday morning media roundup, night shifts. Anytime Kyle comes up with uh, an article idea, opinion idea, he pops it on there and hits the ether and gets the comments going. It's good. <laughs> so, anyways, go to go to brewhoop.com for all our offseason content. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>